latest episode of the Cardiovascular Digital Health Podcast, where we interview academics and entrepreneurs at the front lines of digital health. My name is Dr. Hamid Gumbari, and I am the deputy editor of the Cardiovascular Digital Health Journal. If you like this episode and would like to support our work, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review and visit our website, the Cardiovascular Digital Health Journal. Well, uh, I'd like to welcome Dr. Bob Wachter to our Cardiovascular Digital Health Journal podcast. Uh, Dr. Wachter is the chairman of medicine at uh, UCSF. Um, He is uh, uh, a world-renowned expert in digital health, all things digital health, has written um, an excellent uh, book on the topic called The Digital Doctor, and he has um, established himself as a a, a real visionary in the field of digital health, as well as in the field of medicine in general, um, as many consider him to be one of the uh, founding um, um, uh, folks in the context of hospital medicine as well. So, Dr. Wachter, first of all, thank you for joining uh, me and us uh, uh, for this podcast. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm glad you resisted founding grandfather, which I hear periodically, which is Ooh. annoying. <laughs> well, uh, yes, glad to uh, avoid any ageism on the on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. So, so, with that being said, you do have a wealth of experience um, in looking at the changes to medicine over the last uh, several decades—a time of unprecedented change—and really. The um, uh, institution of hospital-based care was a big focus of yours and quality of in-hospital care. I'd love your thoughts as, as you've begun to help us uh, look forward to really decentralize, decentralizing healthcare and thinking about hospital care as, as extending and acute care as extending outside of brick and mortar um, uh, uh, buildings. You know, you, you spoke recently at, at our institution about uh, the future of medicine um, accelerated by COVID. Could you comment a little bit about where you see us going and, and, and how, how digital medicine is going to transform how healthcare is delivered in the coming years? Yeah, thank you. I, I have a worldview, may turn out to be wrong, uh, but that we're in the middle of a, a, a period of massive transformation in healthcare. And the reason I don't think it's all that smart to say that is that healthcare is pretty much last to this dance, if you look at the transformation of virtually every other industry uh, once digital came in and really established itself, every single one of them has been turned upside down. The leading players at the beginning of that journey were no longer the leading players at the end, and many of them were out of business. And, um, uh, and, and there were all sorts of unanticipated consequences. Just look at social media as, as, as one example. But by and large, these thrive because they deliver to consumers uh, better experience, more satisfying experience, more access, uh, and some, in many cases, lower cost. So if you think about retail on Amazon, or you think about entertainment on Netflix, or you, you, just, you can tick off the industry. I think until you get to education, you can't find an industry <laughs> that hasn't done this, uh, this dance. And academic healthcare people like like the two of us happen to be in the two industries that haven't. So we're going to get transformed, but we were late. The good part about being late is you know what's coming. Um, and uh, and healthcare, why were we late? Because healthcare is really complicated. The stakes are really high. There are lots of players. The incumbents are quite strong. 
so it's not easy to do. And the digital giants who jump, jump at healthcare and say, we're just going to do it because we did it with Uber, uh, they get their head handed to them all the time because it, it's harder than, as I say to them all the time, uh, physicians are much better lobbyists than taxi cab drivers. You know, get in for a while. Oh, it's going to be a wild ride. But what is the end game? The end game is that the way healthcare has been organized so far, which is the unit of care is in a building that we own uh, and in a sort of set of terms and a relationship, which is quite hierarchical, that we have developed and essentially manage, uh, that can't last. That It has to be a world where there's much more geographic decentralization, that, that, that patients get care in very different ways than just going to the doctor's office or going to the ER or being in the hospital. There's a much more, there's a uh, multiplicity of ways they get care. The, the, the arrow will all be facing toward more stuff happening in their home, more stuff happening in ways that they can control the agenda and the timing and the place. Uh, more use of different experts, and in some cases, I worry, non-experts as sources of information, less deference, uh, deferentialness to the traditional role of credentialed experts and fancy institutions with marble lobbies. And, and, and you know, I think that's the way every other industry has evolved. And with that comes a immense opportunities to make care better and more satisfying for patients and more accessible and more evidence-based. Uh, and less expensive, and enormous opportunities for mischief where people can get care that's stupid and wrong and dangerous, and there are charlatans and all of that. So uh, if you're just in it because it's interesting, it's going to be a really interesting time for the next 10 years. Well, I, I'm glad you brought that up because um, obviously digital medicine is a really hot topic, and there it, there's so much out there right now about you know why this is happening, the connection with COVID, et cetera, and and the demand from um, from so many of our patients is de- is is definitely growing, and they're expressing that in the press and and to us um, and to payers. So there's no question that the pressures uh, are there and the the space is different. You told a story to me about, uh, however, a, a way that digital medicine really had had a meaningful impact on quality. And that was in the space of diabetes consultations, and in fact. Uh, you're, you have a team that with a fairly advanced product that really incorporated sort of a human being with, with clinical expertise, a, a community or a group of patients with a problem, and you were able to really deploy a product, which was the combination of the computer and the human together to deliver a, a better quality diabetes care model. Um, and we're quite frankly at our institution um, uh, trying to implement a similar solution on that basis. I bet you our audience would be really interested to hear that story because I think it's a it's an example of a the opposite of of of, of charlatanism um, of real impact of a digital medicine solution in a current state. It's not fut- it's not sci-fi. It's happening today, and it's been happening for years at your institution. Yeah, I think it's part of the reason you want a culture of innovation because this is not something that you open up the box from Epic and it gives you or Cerner. It's 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 your own people saying, "Oh, there are digital tools. How do we use them in new ways to organize care in a way that delivers on value?" That that's that's sort of the game. And one of the reasons I got I was so attracted to it is as I studied the digital transformation of other industries. The, uh, there's something called the productivity paradox of IT, and, the, and it's been seen in every industry. IT gets hyped big time because you'll never buy it and you never go through the pain of transformation unless it is hyped. You put it in and then lo and behold, not much happens for a few years and everybody's left scratching their head like, why didn't this work? It was supposed to be great. 
And then all of a sudden, year five, seven, 10, things start turning around. And they start turning around. In other words, IT delivers on the value that you had expected for two reasons. One is version 12.3 is better than version 1.0. But probably the more important thing is people do what is sometimes termed uh, reimagine the work. And why don't they reimagine the work on day one? Because none of us are all that smart and creative. We can't really see what IT could do for us until you're living in this world of IT. And you say, huh, why are we still doing this way? Why does the physician note look like a piece of paper uh, and it's, it's, it's separated by other notes from by a tab? Why? Because that's what it looked like in the chart. And so we're not creative enough to do something different. So that's a long way of, of getting around to this particular project. We call these tacos. So they're targeted, automated electronic consultations. And the idea, and this was cooked up by our diabetologist, who's sort of a curmudgeon, has been trying to get us to improve inpatient diabetes care for 100 years and mostly unsuccessfully. And so I first learned, I, I wasn't in the middle of this, I first learned of this maybe three, four years ago, I was on the wards. And I said to um, my resident, you know, do we hear from our consultants? And she said, oh yeah, cardiology saw the patient, left a note, ID saw the patient, they haven't written a note yet. And I was about to walk away because it was the only two consultants I knew we called. And then she said, oh, and also we just got Rushikoft. And I said, what the hell's Rushikoft? They said, you know, I know who Dr. Rushikoff is. He's that diabetologist. They said, he, she said, oh, there's a note from Dr. Rushikoff recommending that we change the diabetes management of this patient. And I said, did we call him? And she said, no. And I said, how did this happen? And so I called Rushikoff up. And then what happened was he had built an algorithm that said, we're going to look at all 700 patients in the building and any patient who meets one of four criteria for being a high risk patient with diabetes, one very low sugar, two very high sugar is insulin pump or type one. Uh, I'm going to get a queue of those patients in my inbox every morning. And I'm going to have a screen built for me in, in Epic, but it doesn't come out of the box that shows me everything I need to do, know in a single glance at the computer, you know, the, the insulin doses and oral hypoglycemic doses and glucose trend lines and other electrolytes. And it takes me about a minute to look and say, oh, they're doing fine. They're doing all the right stuff or they're screwing up. And when they're screwing up, he writes an unbidden consult that shows up in, you know, as a consult from the diabetes management service. And in a study that we published in the Annals of Internal Medicine a couple of years ago, the rates of hypoglycemia went down by a third. The rates of hyperglycemia went down by a third. I worried about educational acceptance. Would people find this annoying that someone's you know, looking over their shoulder and questioning? But the educational acceptance was incredibly high because people felt like I'm learning diabetes management from somebody who knows it better than I do. So it strikes me, I'm a general internist. I love being a general internist because I love sort of knowing a little bit about everything. But I also love the fact that I'm surrounded by people who know more about the heart and the, and, and the liver and the kidney than I do. But the question is, in our current management, there's, there's no ability to, uh, to get your engagement in my patient other than this thing we call a consult which is too big. It's it, you know, a full hour. And why is that the only thing? Because that's the only billable unit. So the question is using digital technology to sift through all the patients, find high-risk patients, allow someone like Rushikoff to look over your shoulder electronically, he never sees the patient, and leave a note recognizing the billing system hasn't quite caught up to it, but does that add enough value that that's a good way to think about it? And to me, it's just a very nice example of reimagining the work, taking advantage of things that you could only do with digital, but it's not, it's not fancy AI. Now, eventually, maybe Rushikoff gets replaced by AI Rushikoff, 
because you know he only sees there are only 20 or 30 use cases and he always gives the same answer and why not just do that electronically but for now it's a human being but it really is a, a nice example of thinking about the way we do the work and saying is there a different way of doing this taking advantage of digital capabilities that makes care better and safer and cheaper perfect thank thank you for that example now i'm going to pivot to um Another uh, group that you put together and is led by one of your former mentees, uh, Dr. Mike Blum, uh, in the context of thinking about patient engagement in their own healthcare. And I want to ask you uh, a sort of a two-part question. The first is, um, what are, broadly speaking, many of the um, articles submitted to the Cardiovascular Digital Health Journal speak to the desire to enhance connectivity? With, uh, with a patient group. Maybe it's a group of heart failure patients or AFib patients. And there, there's typically an intervention focused on this group that monitors themselves. They do, they do better. They feel great about being connected to their doctors. And one of the most common reviewer criticism is this isn't scalable or generalizable because of the amount of work uh, that a heretofore undefined healthcare provider, let's call them care traffic controllers, theoretically, that doesn't exist yet, has to do. Um, How is UCSF tackling uh, this challenge that people want, and there's a great JAMA paper that I I believe you you cited in your talk, but came out uh, that I saw that looked at the scale up of uh, in-basket messages among primary care doctors, and it's going up like COVID Omicron rates in terms (laughs) of the exponential rise in in indicating patients want to connect with us. How, how are you approaching that issue from the side of of uh, technical implementation, um, but and patient perspectives, but also from clinical perspectives? Um, how are you manage that managing that among your docs who are, I think, struggling to to manage that workload? Uh, I think that- I think struggling is charitable. I think they're on their knees. I, I, you know, I think the level of burnout. I mean, there's obviously the confounder of of, of COVID now, but. The level of burnout is skyrocketing. And when you ask them why, much of it is, I've got my day job, it hasn't changed at all. And then I've got two or three additional hours of work a day for some people. And it's no longer just charting in the EHR. It's actually what is all the incoming from patients for whom we have said to them, here's this portal, you can communicate with us. They say, great, I love that. I will. <laughs> and what is what does it mean to have a high magnesium? Or what does it mean that my QT my, interval is short? My ECG says abnormal at the top. Right. What, what what is that it, mean? Abnormal. Does that mean I'm going to die? And so we have turned on 24-7, 365 connectivity without even giving a second of thought to the business or workforce or financial model to support it. And it cannot work. It, it's it's sort of it's not maybe it won't work. It's like it's it cannot possibly work. And I think one of the interesting things about sort of thinking about where we are in the lifespan of digital transformation is many industries, if you think about it, have 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 turned to much more consumer directed work. They make their own travel plans. They manage their own finances. But when they do that, they are largely detethered from the institutional resources and people. They're doing it all themselves. And as long as the computer program works well, it's fine. And you have to keep a phone line open for that person who just can't figure it out to call you. But, it, you know, they don't need you very much. They really can do almost all of it themselves. In healthcare, we're in this unbelievably nasty place where we've turned on the democratization. We've turned on the data feeds. 
but they still need us. The, the tools are not good enough for them to self-manage and the stakes are too high. And so this is what it looks like when you're in the worst of both possible worlds, sort of de decentralization, but still a, a tremendous need for connectivity with, quote, the legacy organization. And nobody has even begun to figure this out. And periodically I'll hear sort of digital utopians talk about how wonderful it is that all this data is flowing. And I think exactly as you state, that was true in the little study with 30 people, with everybody kind of jazzed about this new program. But if I said to my primary care docs, we're turning this on, you know, not only are you getting all the inbox stuff, but starting today, it's the signal from their Apple Watch, the signal from their digital scale. And oh yeah, a bunch of them are buying wired toilets so you can get their urine electrolytes. They'll all quit by five o'clock this afternoon. I mean, maybe maybe sooner. So we got to figure this out. We're, uh, we don't have an answer. I mean, the answer, part of it is going to be to, to figure out how you bill for some of this. Um, it doesn't change the nature of it, but if you're at least you're billing for it, you could theoretically figure out how you turn this into dirt work during the day. Maybe you need an hour every afternoon to do your digital inbox work and it's compensated because yeah. it's work, it's clinical work. And then clearly you have to parse the incoming and say what parts of it really require the doctor and what parts of it could be done electronically with good AI and it's, 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 it's online scheduling, it's online refills, all that stuff. And what parts of it really require a person, but don't require the doctor. And, and you, sorting that out is really, really hard, but that's what we're all, we're trying to do. And could you comment, because I, I, I've heard you use this term care traffic controller about um, this sort of intermediate phenotype, like, you know, how there's AFib and there's hypertension, and then there might be left atrial enlargement as an intermediate phenotype. So there's the patient is the, I guess is hypertension in my analogy, but, and the doctor maybe is the AFib. Uh, this care traffic controller that's got some medical training could maybe interpret a AI facilitated uh, a data stream in from somebody. Um, are you training those folks? Do you have do, do you have a, an idea of where we're going to find them in the era of the Great Resignation? Who are the care traffic controllers that we need in this model? Yeah, I think that's an open question. We're we're doing this at the margins, but largely within practices. We're largely saying that still that cardiology needs its own triage algorithm for some of the messages not to reach the doctor, but to reach some other person who can deal with most of them, triage the others. And that over time, clearly the direction here is going to be to use more technological tools so that it actually doesn't have to be a person. Because at the end of the day, you know, I, I think the great resignation is meaningful and has convinced healthcare administrators that not only is solving every single problem with an FTE stupid financially, but it's actually not doable. It's actually, you're not going to be able to find the people. And so there has to be, you know, we talk about practicing at the top of your license. It has to be that you have moved to a system where everybody's doing the things that they are uniquely qualified to do and nothing more. And every time you have a person doing something, you've basically said, we don't have a technology that could have done that thing for them. And then, but how that gets organized and does that live at UCSF? or live in cardiology and some ver other version of it lives in gastroenterology? Or does it live in some corporation that has figured out how to do this at scale? I think those are big open questions. And then I think they're going to take five years to solve it. It's a really naughty set of questions. I, I, my chief of gastroenterology said to me the other day, we were talking about this, and you can be pretty flip about this and say, oh, you know, just we got to get the electronic systems rolling. So the scheduling and the refills all kind of is taken off the doctor's plate. He said, no, most of this is, is medicine. Most of these are really good, hard, 
complicated questions that I think they need to go to me, but I can't do it. So there's a you know there's so much here to sort out, and we're 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 beginning the journey, but I don't think anybody has figured this one out. Absolutely true, and and as challenging, and, and and I think another topic, perhaps for another discussion, is the issue of the quality of the virtual visit, um, the quality of and our ability to make meaningful decisions about hard medical questions that come at us as the asynchronous chat message. When you really need to look at neck veins, you really need to do a, a an exam. You know how do you, how do you get all of that information uh, from the home and. And I think yeah. that's I mean, it, it, it's sort of analogous to like, you know, when you're like on your ninth email back and forth with somebody and you say, I think we need to pick up the phone and actually talk to each other or, or, or do a Zoom. Exactly. It's the same thing. It's at some point it's not, you know, you want to do as much as you can virtually, but no more. And I think we're going to have to figure out how to draw those lines. Yeah. Well, listen, I this has been a fantastic, uh, very uh, um, meaty uh, 20 minutes with uh, Dr. Uh, Wachter. Um, a visionary in digital medicine and in medicine. Uh, we are very grateful uh, to you for joining us on the podcast. And uh, please, on behalf of our scientists, uh, our editorial board, our readership, thank you, Dr. Wachter, for joining. And any closing thoughts or uh, or comments before we well, first, uh, join? First of all, it's a joy to talk for 20 minutes and not talk COVID, <laughs> which has <laughs> not, been, not been, been my experience for the last two years since it's been all COVID all the time. And second of all, thank you to all your listeners who do what what they do. I'm now of the age where it's not me yet, but many of my relatives are having all sorts of cardiac problems and arrhythmia problems. And I, I get to see up close and personal the expertise and how valuable it is. So thanks so much. Well, thanks. Uh, they consider themselves rightly or wrongly at the bleeding edge of, uh, of digital medicine. Um, no pun intended, but, but I think um, they will benefit greatly from your, from your wisdom. So thanks, Dr. Wachter. Uh, and uh, thanks uh, to the listeners. <laughs>